Lord Jesus, touch some children as they go in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Amen. How are y'all doing this morning? Good? I hope so. Because that was good. So if you're not good after that, not really sure what I could do to help you. But I'm, I'm excited to be here this morning. I'm excited to preach a message today that's a little different than a typical Palm Sunday message. Today is obviously Palm Sunday. This mic is pretty loud, and I might, uh, might want to bring it down a little bit. Um, if somebody want to grab me a water, that would be... Could you give me a water, Scott? Thank you. Palm Sunday is the Sunday before Easter, and we'll get into it in a few minutes. But have you ever, ever in your life went to do something or started to do something, and then when you did it, you realized that this is not how you were expecting it to go? For example, the first time I boiled crawfish by myself, everything looked good until I took the crawfish out the pot, and everything was not good. Because I had wasted about a hundred and something dollars on a full sack of crawfish that I cooked wrong. But it looked good the whole time. And I, my, my mom and my dad and my brothers and all, they waiting for crawfish. And I'm stirring it and I'm doing the deal and I'm excited. And the pot is <laughs> that sound of heaven. Y'all do realize that there's a section in heaven where that's all you hear, right? <laughs> that's, I mean, that's what I think. I don't know. Maybe that's not your section, but that'll be mine. Hallelujah. But anyway... And so I'm boiling the crawfish, and it looks good, and everybody's, oh, it's going to be great. You can see the steam, and crawfish are getting red, and the sausage is in there. And, man, this is going to be amazing because that's what happens in Louisiana. We just boil crawfish, and it's amazing. And you know how you turn the ball off and you, you, you start tasting them? They looked good. It looked right. But it wasn't exactly what we were expecting it to be. Thankfully, I had to fix it, but I can. we fixed it in the next batch because I wasted that sack. They were terrible. The next sack we did was fine. I figured out what I did wrong and redid it. The whole point I'm making is, is that we can look at something and we can have expectations and set one way, but in reality, it's completely different. And I believe that Palm Sunday is one of the most misunderstood expectation moments in Scripture. And I think that there are a lot of people that don't realize it, but they, they miss. They place expectations on God, and when he doesn't measure up to what they expect or they think, they get angry. They get upset. They get frustrated. And so this morning, we're going to talk a little bit. The title is Heaven's Investment. And I want to go to Matthew chapter 21, verse 1, where it says, And now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus sent two disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them, bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. And he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble. Mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went, as Jesus directed them, and they brought the donkey and the colt and put them put on put on their cloaks, 
and he sat on them. Most of the crowd, as he entered Jerusalem, most of the crowd threw their cloaks on the road. Others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Jesus is entering Jerusalem here, and he's entering on a mission. This mission is the single greatest mission in the history of humanity. It is to be the sacrificial offering for our sins. He is riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, and he knows exactly what is about to happen. He knows exactly what he's walking into. Yet, something very interesting and unique happens. First off, he fulfills a prophecy, I believe it was from Zechariah. And he knows everything's about to happen because of the prophecy he's giving his life for our salvation. Yet the people of Jerusalem are seeing something totally different. They're seeing something entirely different. Now, the way it would work when a general would come back into the town, whenever he would bring his army back from a victory, he would bring them back and he'd be on the horse and they would throw the, the their clothes on the ground before him or palm branch on the ground so that the feet of the animal he was riding wouldn't even touch the ground. They would wave palm branches and they would have a spontaneous parade of how excellent this general is and how amazing this big bad general is. And, and, and that is what they are doing. If you notice, the prophecy says, say to the daughter of Zion, your king will come to you riding a donkey's, riding on a donkey. So, so it's fulfilling, but they're identifying Jesus as a king. And so they're expecting the king to conquer and set them free from Rome. And there's these expectations up. So they are literally treating Jesus as a conquering king coming to destroy their oppressors, the Roman Empire. The problem is, is Jesus is sending another signal. And the prophecy actually sends another signal that the people in the moment didn't realize. And I don't even know if we realize it all the time. They are treating him like he's, he's this conquering general and this conquering king, which, don't get me wrong, he is, just not yet. Read in Revelation where he is. But in this moment, he's not riding a horse, he's riding a donkey. See, this changes things. Because in Genesis, I believe it's chapter 32, when Jacob is going to meet Esau for the first time since he stole his birthright, he's afraid of how, Jacob is, how Esau is going to respond to him. So he loads up several donkeys and he sends them ahead of him as a sacrificial peace offering to appease his brother who's angry with him if you keep reading throughout the old testament donkeys were always what transported goods but they were also also sent to be the peace offering they were sent to be a sign of i'm coming to serve you because the donkey is a service animal and so jesus is riding in on a service animal as a sacrificial offering and the people don't even realize it the people don't even he is right in front of them and he they don't see what he's doing how many times do we see God in a way we want to see him how many times do we see something happening oh that's God and we just begin to support it and shout it and, and and you're shaking your head like yes we do this but do you realize this has been done all throughout history 
right? Slavery was supported by Scripture. Incorrectly, but it was supported. The, the church, preachers preached pro-slavery. Why? Because they saw something that they thought was God or they wanted to make God, so they just attached their own agenda to it. Segregation was taught as scriptural. Horribly out of context. But it was taught in this manner because people saw Jesus. They saw what he was doing. They saw what God was doing. They saw what's in the word. And they began to project their own motive and their own meaning on top of it. That happens in politics. Oh, this candidate's God's man. Oh, no, this, this political party here, this is what Jesus would support if he was on the planet today. That's my favorite, is if we know his particular political affiliation or how he would feel about ozone emissions. Like we just, we, we, but we, we, we read something, and we, oh, this, this right here, that's Jesus. Jesus would do that. Yet in Joshua chapter 5, Jesus is, I mean, not Jesus, Joshua is praying and the Lord of heaven's armies appears. And Joshua says, are you for us or for our adversary? And the Lord of heaven's armies, who most people believe is a pre-incarnate version of Jesus, answers that question, are you for us or for our adversaries? He says, neither. I'm on the Lord's side. This is really not part of the message. It's just a free one. God isn't right or left. He's above. But we forget that because we see him coming. We see him moving. We see him doing things, and we slap our own agenda on it. We slap our own motive on it. We slap our own thing on it, and in all reality, we miss the very reason he came, the very reason he's moving. Jesus was setting an example that day. He right there was heaven's investment. And I'll speak more about that next Sunday. He was heaven's investment. We know what an investment is. I'm, I'm investing something to reap a return. Heaven wanted to reap a return of you and I being brought back into relationship with the Father. In order to do that, they had to make an investment. And that investment was Jesus. And Jesus, in this moment, is being brought into Jerusalem on a donkey as a sacrificial peace offering. Yet they are misidentifying him as a conquering general. They're missing one of the most important tenets of the kingdom of God that Jesus is laying out here. He's laying out the reminder to us right in front of us that Christianity, living for the kingdom of God, is about sacrifice. That's what it's about. This is the king of heaven riding on a donkey Dying for people who don't even understand what he's doing, and he's been preaching to them for three and a half years. Now let's keep going. Why does it? Why? Why is this something that we struggle with so much as believers? This idea of sacrifice when Jesus lays it out over and over and over again. Why do we struggle with it? Let me show you why. Go to Philippians chapter two, verse five. Have this 
mind. New King James says, let this mind be in you. Let this mind. It's because, see this thing up here. No matter how hard we try, it thinks what it wants to think. Until I take captive that thought and make it submit in obedience to Christ and I renew my mind by the word. But if I am not careful, this mind up here is going to think about what it wants. It's going to do what it wants. It's going to feel, make me feel how it wants to make me feel based upon how it sees things. And so what Paul says here in Philippians is let this mind or have this mind in you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Meaning have you got to get his mind in you. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 2 says, For who can understand the mind of a man but the spirit of a man? But thankfully we have the mind of Christ. Which means I can't understand the spirit of God until my mind is renewed. But I can't have my mind renewed until I have the spirit of God. And so Paul is saying, let this mind be in you. What mind? Let's keep reading. But it's the mind he demonstrated on that donkey. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming death, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even on the cross. Leave it right there. But he emptied himself. humbled himself and became obedient. If that's not sacrifice, I don't know what is. And Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. He's on the donkey. He's riding in. And they are celebrating him as a conquering hero because they think he's doing what they want him to do. They think that he is working in their best interest. No, he's working to get them in his best interest. And he humbled himself. He laid his desires down. Let's keep going. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name. It's above every other name. That the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of of God the Father. That second part, he, he exalted him and given him a name of every other name. That does not happen if he first doesn't lay himself down. A lot. I'm going to give you a little tip here. A lot of the things that you are believing God to do in your life is directly on the other side of you laying yourself down. The very thing you're believing God to do, praying for God to do, praying for God to bring into your life, things that you've been expecting him to do, it's right on the other side of you saying, I'm going to lay myself down. But see, we don't want to lay ourselves down because we want Jesus on the donkey to be Jesus on the horse. And if I try real hard, I bet I can make that donkey a horse. It kind of looks like one. I can maybe twist it and see it a certain way. When in all reality, no, 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 no. I got to see it for what it is. I got to recognize that he laid the model for me of sacrifice. And what I am believing for is on the other end of sacrifice. 
This is heaven's investment was done. It was a sacrifice that was done. This is how he was being received as this big conquering general. And see, this is where we, we think that sacrifice is always this gloomy thing. Oh, my God, sacrifice. God, lay it down. Got to stop doing that. Lord told me to give extra over here. Lord told me to volunteer. Oh, well, we all turn to Eeyore when we time to sacrifice. Looks like rain. Tell me y'all seen Winnie the Pooh. If not, okay, I'm about to say, Lord Jesus, help me. I grew up on Winnie the Pooh. What I find the most interesting is Jesus allows this celebration to take place. That's because I believe he knew that what he was doing was worth celebrating. Even if they didn't know yet. So he just waited and let them throw the party in the understanding that you don't know why you're partying, but one day you will. You don't know why yet. He'll let us get excited about something. We don't even know why we're excited or we're excited about the wrong reason. He doesn't care because one day we will be. And so he allows this to take place. But then he, he, he drills it down. A few days later, Jesus gathers with his disciples for the Passover meal, and Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper or communion. He again commemorates the sacrifice that's about to take place. When we get together, none of us get together to eat for a sad reason. Even if it's a funeral, it takes five seconds and we're laughing again. I can only imagine that Hebrew culture over meals is similar to ours in South Louisiana. When we get together, it is a good thing. We are celebrating something. Jesus has a meal and says, we're going to celebrate what's about to happen. Man, I'm telling you what, the fact that I get to join him in sacrifice should be the most exciting thing imaginable, that I get to be like Jesus. I get to act like Jesus. I get to do something like Jesus. Why? Because he sacrificed for me. Now I have his spirit, and now I get to be like him. And he commemorated this sacrifice with communion. So if you would, take, take your elements out this morning. And he's, now, now you've got to realize what, what is happening here. He's, he's telling them, this is my body that's broken for you. And the disciples are like, your body ain't broken, dude. You, I don't understand. You're sitting at the table. Everything's fine. Everything's good. No. He is setting up an institution that would legitimately be the center. Hear me out. Communion was the centerpiece of the early church's worship. I don't know if I've ever shared with you the, the order of ceremony when they would have church in the early church. Have I shared that with you? I don't think so. When you would come to church before, you can invite anybody you wanted. They could come and they could hear the message. And if they wanted to join the family of God, they would make their confession. Then they would immediately be baptized. Because, you see, 
Baptism is the public demonstration of what took place inside. It's the representation of being buried with Christ, being raised life again, right? But it's a public declaration. Christianity was illegal. It was, it was persecuted. And so you were not allowed to go any further into the service unless you were water baptized. So if you came and attended, you would leave. Then everybody who was water baptized would stay. They would pray together. And the last thing they would do was communion. Why? Because I'm not going to sit down and share a meal with you over this unless I know I can trust you and my kids' lives in your hands. Because if you get caught because you went to church, are you going to tell that me and my family come? Are we going to get arrested because you aren't ready to make that sacrifice? So communion was the centerpiece of the early church. It was the centerpiece of their worship, of their commitment, of who they, it was rooted in sacrifice. Yet that word is the most foreign thing to the Western church. Sacrifice. I legitimately remember somebody coming to visit the church in Shelmet after we had first reopened it in the new building. And we didn't have coffee. So they didn't come back. I'm like, I'm like, bro, there's a gas station at the corner. Get you a cup. You come drink a car. I don't like make something at home. I don't understand. No, we don't have a soy mocha latte frappuccino up in here. But I mean, frappuccino, I don't know what that is, but it sounds, <laughs> sounds like it might be good. <laughs> frappuccino, I don't know. Sacrifice. Because if the word Christian means to be Christ-like, then I should be Christ-like. means I should be sacrificing. means I should be leaning into this life. And if he allowed it to be celebrated, if he set up a meal to commemorate it, then that tells me that it's something worth celebrating. And so this morning, I want you to take the body. And I want us to, to realize... On Wednesday of this week, right, his body was broken for you and I. It was ripped to shreds for you and I. When you read the accounts of, of what they say happened to him according to the results of other recorded Roman history, they say that when he was whipped with the, with the, the cat of nine tails that he was beaten to a point that you could see his internal organs through his back. Because the skin and the outer layers of muscle were gone. When they had put the crown of thorns in his head, his head had swelled up three times the size of a normal person's head. And they had ripped the beard from his face. Y'all, I was trimming this thing this morning. And I got caught on like one little hair. And I let him, ah! <laughs> don't, don't pull it. You get a, a baby, lock onto this thing. Jesus, help us. Then he's, then he's, they put the nails in his hand. We, these and I talking little roof, these little big tiny nails, right? Talking spikes. And they're put not in, the, not in the, the middle of the palm of his hand because the, it would tear the skin off. It was put here in the wrist and it was nailed through. And then the, the spike that was put through his feet is if you take your foot and you lean it forward, there's that little hole at the, where your leg meets your foot, that soft tender spot. 
and you'd, you would draw the spike through there. It would come out by your Achilles tendon. It would go in the second foot in the same spot and then go into the wood. And the reason that this would be the case, they put in these locations, is because the way that you died on the cross was asphyxiation. You would suffocate to death. You would, you would, you would not breathe. And the only way in which you could breathe is to take the bones in your arms and your feet and use the nails and the spikes and use them as leverage to pick yourself up to breathe and then drop it back down. And he did this for six hours. Every breath, he would take the, the spike in his feet and he would, with his bare bones, stand up on the spike to get oxygen. All while being mocked, all while hanging entirely naked, there was no loincloth. Artists did that out of respect. There wasn't. He was completely naked. Why? For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And yet Jesus instituted a meal to commemorate it. Why? Because he was willing and glad to make that sacrifice. So, Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your investment of your son. Jesus, we thank you for your broken body. We thank you that because of your sacrifice, we can be free from sin, free from our past, free from guilt, free from shame in a new creation. So, Father, this morning as we take the body and we celebrate what you did, God, let us evaluate our lives in light of your sacrifice. In Jesus' name, you can take the body. Then we get to the blood. What can wash away my sin? There's an old song that you guys may not know by Andre Crouch. Called The Blood Will Never Lose Its Power. And it says it reaches to the highest mountain. And it flows to the lowest valley. The blood that gives me strength from day to day will never lose its power. It's the blood of Jesus that makes me who I am, makes you who you are, makes us who we can be in this city, in this region, through this ministry. It's the blood of Jesus. But you can't talk about the blood of Jesus without recognizing it was sacrifice. Like there's nothing pretty about it. And yet Jesus says, I want you to do this in remembrance of me. That's like if I pass away, I tell my kids, when I die, I want you to boil crawfish on my birthday every year in remembrance of me. Or I want you to have a steak every year in remembrance of me. I want you to celebrate me. I want you to keep me alive. <coughs> well, Jesus is alive. 
And so we're not celebrating to keep him alive. We're celebrating to remind each other of what's actually living on the inside of us. But it's this blood right here that makes me not the arrogant little punk I used to be. It ain't me. It's the blood. And when God looks down and he sees me, he sees the blood. So, Jesus, I thank you this morning for your blood that was shed and spilled and poured out for me. Jesus, I thank you that it washed my sin as far as from the east is from the west. And you remember it no more because when you look at me, you just see the blood. Jesus, I thank you that it speaks a better word. It stands in my defense. I thank you that it, it, it stands against the enemy. That because I'm washed in the blood, the enemy can't touch me unless you let him. And if you let him, it's for my good anyway. So, Jesus, I thank you this morning for your blood in Jesus' name. Amen. You can take it. One last thing. I want to leave you with a thought. Why is sacrifice so important? Why is it so important that we implement or include or make sure that sacrifice is an integral part of our Christianity? Let me show you why. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. That I may know him in the power of his resurrection and share his suffering. The New King James says, I want to know Christ in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. With this, how many of you want to know God more? <clears throat> right? Like you want to know him more. You mean more like him. You want more of him in your life. This verse says the only way that that happens is I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, meaning I want to be less like me and more like him. But I can't have that end. See that word and right here? The phrase before it and the phrase after it are of equal importance. If I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, I can't without sharing in the fellowship of his suffering. I can't. It does not happen. I cannot walk in the exponential favor of God on my life if I'm not living in the sacrifice that shares in his suffering. Pastor Chris, what do you mean? What I mean is, is that I can sacrifice my time by going to bed early so I can get up early and seek Jesus in the morning. What that means is I can sacrifice my Sunday morning every now and then and volunteer in kids' church or volunteer to serve in some other capacity in the church. It means that I can sacrifice 10% of my paycheck to tithe and watch God do more with 90 than I could ever do with 100. I can sacrifice myself in my life, and when I do that, I will watch heaven open and he will prove himself to me over and over and over and over and over again. Because if I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, i got to share in his suffering. And how do I do that? It's by sacrifice. Thank God he doesn't need me to share in the sacrificial death that he had physically. He's not asking me to do that. But he is asking me, can you deny yourself? 
Can you tell yourself no? Can you do the things that you don't want to do, or can you not do the things you want to do? Y'all, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Since I haven't had Dr. Pepper in two months, I'm, I pretty much think I'm the most disciplined person on the planet right now. Like, I don't think y'all understand. Like, I'm like, what, what, what you want to do? Okay, let's do it. I don't care. I don't try not to pepper anymore. <laughs> like, huh, nothing is that hard. Nothing is that difficult. I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm almost kidding. <laughs> but I used to ask my teenagers this all the time. When's the last time you told yourself no just to say no? Like, think about it, right? Like today, man, I want to go. I want to go to wherever, and I want to get the big old pasta. No. I'm going to eat a turkey sandwich. Why? Because I just want to tell myself no. Just to get good at telling myself no. Because, see, if we wait to say no until we have to say no, we're not going to be very good at it. But no, if I want to know him in the power of his resurrection, i got to know him in the fellowship of his suffering. And the fellowship of his suffering is found in sacrifice. In a couple weeks, this building's going to be opened and flipped and turned. And, and what looks like kind of nicely full on Sunday, a few people missing, right? Looks, it's going to look empty in a couple weeks. You know, what has to happen then is we're going to have to invite people, right? We're going to have to get out there and invite people and get them in here. And you know what that, that means? I'm going to have to sacrifice what I, my, my opinion of myself or what they might think of me because they might reject me. I'm going to have to sacrifice getting up a little early and bringing my family to church and then going back and getting them because they don't have a car. I may have to sacrifice. But if I want to walk in the power of his resurrection, and we all know the verse of Scripture that you shall do these things and greater things shall you do, those who believe in me, right? If I want to do that, then I've got to sacrifice. The first time I read, I'm going to close with this. The first time I read that scripture and understood what it meant. My mom actually wrote a song about that verse years ago. And so I've known it for many, many years. But the first time I had an understanding of it was when I first started youth pastoring. Caitlin and I weren't married yet. We were, we were just dating. And we were invited to go on a trip to Tennessee with some friends. And we were the only couple that weren't married, but one of the couples offered to let one of us sleep like in one of the rooms with them or on the floor. I don't know. We weren't going to be in the same room. And I remember thinking to myself, that would be, that would be a blast. Like, I think it would be awesome. It would be great to go. And then I realized, number one, I'd have been missing a youth. I'd have had to cancel a youth event that I had planned to go on this trip. And number two, I would have been setting quite an interesting precedent for me to have to pastor down the road. When me and her are going on trips, not married, and then having to tell teenagers they can't do that. And this is 2009, and I remember sitting there and thinking to myself, well, Lord, I know you've called me to be a youth pastor. You've called me to do great things for the kingdom. And so in order to walk in that, I'm going to sacrifice this. And the friends didn't understand. Looking back now, Last weekend, I was in Orlando mentoring youth pastors from across the country. If I don't sacrifice in 2009 and set a precedent for how I was going to lead, God doesn't let our youth ministry become what it became, which gives me the platform to mentor youth pastors from all across the country. When if you'd have told Chris in 2009 what he'd be doing in 2023, he'd have said, you crazy. 
but it started because of sacrifice. Please hear me out. You do not know the limit, or not even the limit, you don't know the measure of the resurrection power you're going to walk in when you first start sacrificing. But I will promise you this. Whatever measure of sacrifice you give, that resurrection power you walk in is far greater. But it starts with sacrifice. And so what I want to do this morning is I just want to close. I'm going to just pray and we're going to dismiss. Because to me, the response to this message is not a prayer at the end with me laying hands on you. The, the response to this message is you leaving and saying, I need to up my sacrifice game. I need to figure out how to do it. I had one guy come to me one time and say, Pastor Chris, I really feel like I need to do more for the Lord. But, you know, I can't serve more because of my job. It, like, I feel bad committing to be on a team because I can't do this. Blah, blah, blah. I, said, I said, well, let's just, so we talked for about 25 minutes. And I finally realized that the job he had that didn't give him consistent attendance, he, he either made church or group. He couldn't make both in the same week. So he was super inconsistent and never knew it was coming. But, but what, he, what I ended up finding out during the conversation is that he was saving close to 40% of his check because his check was so big. He was tithing saving 40 and only living off of 50. He's like, I don't know what to do. I said, well, tithe 20. And he's like, he looked at me like, what? I said, you just asked me how to sacrifice. You're asking me how to do more for the Lord, but you don't, you don't, you don't have another avenue right now. I said, won't you try that and see what happens? He's like, okay. Three Weeks, he got paid weekly. Three weeks later, gets a promotion at his job with a set schedule. Was in church every Sunday and in group every week, three weeks later. And his 20% tithe became his 10% tithe because of the increase. I'm not telling you to tithe 20%. I'm giving you the example of there is a way for us all to up the sacrifice. Because if I want to walk in the power of his resurrection, i got to share in his sacrifice. Amen? Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for your presence. I thank you that you're here today. Father, I pray that you would cause us to willingly sacrifice. To willingly sacrifice. God, I pray in Jesus' name. That you would let us walk in the fellowship of your suffering, in the fellowship of your sacrifice.